Happy Transfiguration Sunday to you all. So I think as Christians, we pretty much know what to do when Christmas rolls around. We go out and buy presents, we decorate the house, we put up the Christmas tree, we get ready to negotiate the family dynamics at Christmas <laughs> gatherings, and we go around each day with a jovial Merry Christmas on our lips. Then the Easter holiday is also, I think, pretty much a slam dunk. We buy some jelly beans, maybe get a new Easter dress, order a ham from Highland Park Market or Gardner's, attend the church's pancake breakfast and Easter egg hunt. Now Pentecost, on the other hand, is a little bit more of a stretch, but at least we can recognize the birthday of the Christian church by wearing something red when we come to church, and maybe we'll get to sing happy birthday to the church during the children's message. Maybe we'll even blow out some candles. But now, what in God's name, yes, what in God's name are we to do with today's High Holy Day, Transfig Transfiguration Sunday? Say what? Yes, today is Transfiguration Sunday. It comes along every year. It's the last Sunday before the Lenten season. And it's a day when we remember when Jesus became radiant in glory on a mountaintop. Now the Transfiguration story is important enough that it's found in all, all four Gospels. And so here's a simple summary of this dazzling event. Jesus and three of his apostles, Peter, James, and John, go to a mountain, and it is the Mount of Transfiguration, to pray. Once on the mountaintop, Jesus begins to shine with bright rays of light and his clothing becoming a brilliant white. I love it, and you'll listen when it says, such as no one on earth could bleach them. His clothing becomes so bright that no one on earth could bleach them. Then along come Moses and Elijah. They appear to next to Jesus and they begin to have a conversation. Jesus is then called Son by a voice from the heaven, and we assume that to be God. And this is the acknowledgement, the endorsement, the affirmation that this Jesus guy is for real. He is the real deal. So you better pay attention. But here's the rub. If the word transfigured means to be transformed, does Jesus' amazing appearance to the disciples in those bleach-white robes, and then to Elijah and Moses, really transfigure and transform them. And then are we also transformed and transfigured? Has Christ's glorious appearance changed each of us? And then as we come together as these transformed individuals, can we form ourselves into a community that can truly transfigure and transform our world? In the words that Ginger will read from the book of Hebrews, the question is, can we give glory to the transfigured Christ by not neglecting to meet together as one community and then by provoking one another to love and do good deeds? I love that word, that translation, to provoke one another. 
And so friends, as we walk around today, maybe in the grocery store at Whole Foods or Stop and Shop, will we be saying Happy Transfiguration Day to people? Knowing that as a beloved family of faith, we have been truly transformed to love one another and to love God's often hurting world. The scripture lesson starts with Hebrews chapter 10 verses 24 and 25 and may be found on page 219 in the New Testament portion of your pew Bible. And let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all and all the more as you see the day approaching. Then Mark chapter 9 verses 2 through 9 uh, which can be found on page 43 in the New Testament portion of the European Bible. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became dazzling white, such as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say, for they were terrified. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud there came a voice. This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they saw no one with them anymore but only Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, he ordered them to tell no one about what they had seen until after the Son of Man had risen from the dead. May God bless our understanding of this reading. Thanks be to God. I think my greatest fear about this morning's sermon is that there will be a conversation among some of you, maybe 10 years from now or so, reminiscing about the past here at First Church, and someone will say, David Taylor. David Taylor, do you remember David Taylor? And the person will reply, hmm, yeah, I sort of remember him, but, but wait a minute, wasn't he the pastor that compared us to a bunch of termites? <laughs> Yes, that's him. Well, I've got news for each one of you here this morning. You get to be one of those people who will be able to say, I was there for that sermon. <laughs> a little over a year ago, the New Yorker magazine had truly a wonderful article by Amia Srinivasan about termites. It was titled, What Termites Can Teach Us? Now when we think of all of God's wonderful, beautiful creatures, all worthy of our love and admiration, I think we have to admit that there are some whose redeeming quality we might have a hard time to identify. Termites are probably among those creatures. But as the New Yorker article suggests, termites have something to teach us. The author writes, termites may be hard to love, but they should be easy to admire. 
You see, termite mounds are among some of the largest structured structures made by any non-human being. They reach as high as 30 feet, which in proportion to the insect's size is like us building a building twice as high as the existing tallest building in the world in Dubai. The termite mounds are also beautiful structures with soaring towers. They can be in browns and oranges and reds. And then the interior of a termite mound, have you seen one? I haven't. Uh, it's an intricate structure of interweaving tunnels and passageways, radiating chambers, galleries, archways, and even spiral, sta spiral staircases. But as the author of this article points out, individually, termites are not all that impressive. Srinivasan writes, It is generally agreed that individual termites are not particularly intelligent, lacking memory and the ability to learn. Put a few termites into a petri dish and they wander around aimlessly. Put in 40 and they start stampeding around the dish's perimeter like a herd. But then he writes, but put enough termites together in the right conditions and they will build you a cathedral. Well, likewise, I believe that if you put enough faithful Christians together in the right conditions, they too will build cathedrals. And not just cathedrals of bricks and mortar, but cathedrals of love. You see, God's gift to us, affirmed, I think, by Christ's glorious resurrection, is the potential that we have of being transfigured and transformed to be God's beloved community here on earth. Look at uh, two of the most famous paintings of the Transfiguration. This is the one on your front cover by Raphael. And then the second one is by Rubin. Throughout this mountaintop experience, Jesus is not only drawn together those three disciples and Moses and Elijah, but look at all the countless of other characters that have gathered. This mountaintop community spans generations, spans centuries, and it can include us. Put us together and we can be God's beloved community. Put us together and we are never alone. Put us together and we can find a common purpose. Put us together and we too can build cathedrals, beautiful cathedrals of care and compassion, kindness and love. Put us together as a community for we are not destined to simply run around aimlessly like termites. With that said, however, we know that human communities are never, ever perfect. There is no perfect family community, no perfect church community, no perfect town, nation, or world community. Every community has its own warts and imperfections, because all communities are filled with people who have their own individual warts 
and imperfections. We all have learned this truth over the years about communities through the years of watching The Peanuts Gang, thanks to cartoonist Charles Schultz. He died 20 years ago last week. Well, Schultz, through his ragtag parade of cartoon characters, had the uncanny ability to capture our innermost feelings and frailties as creatures of God. Consider the cartoon that has little Linus afraid to be alone in the library. Charlie Brown tries to explain to him that everyone is lonely in some place or the other. Where is that place for you? Linus asks Char Charlie. Well, Charlie ponders that for a moment and answers, Earth. Last week we explored how we can co combat our nation's recently diagnosed epidemic of loneliness by finding joy and beauty and companionship in God's awesome creation. Well, today, while acknowledging that our lonely place can sometimes be like for Charlie Brown, Earth, we can also combat our loneliness by being a part of a caring, compassionate, and purpose-driven community such as First Church. We can combat our loneliness by being a part of a community whose purpose is to reach out to one another and to reach out to the world's loneliness. Now I find that an interesting concept. We combat our own loneliness by joining a community whose purpose is to combat the loneliness of others and of the world. In this world, on this earth, in Charlie Brown's view, there's always the possibility that we will have those moments of feeling alone. It was decades ago that Catholic worker founder Dorothy Day, activist for the poor and for peace, said the following, we have all known the long loneliness and we have learned that the only solution is love and that love comes with community. But then it was just a few weeks ago, New York Times columnist David Brooks wrote the following, Human beings didn't evolve into the world's dominant species because we are more autonomous. We didn't do it because we're more vicious in tooth and claw. We thrived as a species because we are better at cooperation. So Brooks calls it cooperation, Dorothy Day calls it love. Well, one community, decided to do something about the loneliness of a two-year-old girl and what she was facing, and their solution was both cooperation and love. In a story that I heard on CBS News, maybe you saw it or heard about it somewhere else, at the far end of Islington Road in Newton, Mass, there lives a little girl near and dear to that neighborhood. Two-year-old Samantha is deaf, but she loves to talk with anyone who knows sign language. Her father said, she's super engaging. She wants to chat it up with anybody. And then her mother said, yeah, her whole personality changes 
when it's someone who can communicate with her. On the other hand, if you can't, that makes Sam a little sad. Her desire for engagement to fight her loneliness was painfully obvious to the neighborhood. Whenever they would go on a walk or see her in a yard, Sam tries to be neighborly, but they, the neighbors find themselves at a frustrating loss for what to say. I just want to ask her about her day. I want to make her feel that she's a part of our neighborhood. I just want it to be her friend. Unfortunately, that couldn't be solved by just baking a casserole. <coughs> they needed the whole community to learn sign language just for one little two-year-old girl. You can't expect neighbors to do that, but that's exactly what they did. This neighborhood, this community, on their own, got together, hired an instructor, and are now fully immersed in learning American Sign Language. The teacher, Reese McGovern, says this is truly remarkable because sometimes parents of deaf children don't even learn sign language. Reese said, here Sam has a full community that's signing and communicating with her and with her family, and it is a beautiful story. He went on to say that this level of inclusion will almost certainly guarantee a happier and more well-adjusted Sam. He also said there weren't any words in any language to express the parents' gratitude. The mom said, yeah, it's really shocking and beautiful. And the dad said, we are most fortunate. And they've already seen a difference in little Sam. You should see her when she comes in at the end of the class. The first thing she says to us is friend. Here again the words that Ginger read from the book of Hebrews. Let us consider how to provoke one another to love and to do good deeds, not neglecting to meet together and encouraging one another. Well, good old Charlie, lying in bed, laments, last night I dreamt that somebody loved me. Last night I dreamt that somebody loved me. Friends, it is not a dream that as God's beloved community here at First Church, that we can meet together to prov provoke one another to love and to do good deeds. And it is not a dream that we are loved by one another, the person to your left, the person to your right. And we are loved by a good and gracious God. It is not a dream that we will never ever be alone and it is not a dream that each and every day we can be transformed and transfigured to love one another and love God's often hurting world. Happy Transfiguration Sunday, everybody. You can look at this peanuts uh, strip either on your bulletin or up on the screen. So we have Lucy saying to Charlie, our family has salinity. And our family has loyalty. And, and why don't you stop dragging that stupid blanket around, you blockhead? 
and love for one another. And no, friends, we are not termites who wander around aimlessly. We have a purpose, we, uh, but we also have solidity. We have loyalty. Maybe occasionally we'll call each other blockheads. But God has given us a purpose to come together, to meet together, and given us that con purpose to build this community as a cathedral of love for all the world to enjoy. Amen.